Today, I have an awesome opportunity to introduce to you a friend of mine. He's become a fast friend. He is the pastor of City of Refuge Church in Houston's uh, historic Third Ward. He is a chaplain for the Houston Rockets NBA basketball team. He is the husband to Tara. He is the father to 19-year-old Kimmy, who is a freshman in college and volleyball player and great academic individual. He is the father to Gracie, who is a 17-year-old sophomore, or junior, excuse me, also volleyball player and academic. He has uh, got just a, an amazing story of God's grace in his life. He has a, a master's of theology from Dallas Theology. Theological Seminary, and uh, he has been a lot of fun to get to know and to establish relationship, which I hope that we will continue for a lot of years to come in both life and ministry. Before Icky comes, let me invite you right now to go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, everyone, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to spend a majority of our time today is Matthew 6. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to simply raise your hand, and one of our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. These Bibles are our gift to you. You keep these, and we encourage you to write in them, highlight in them, circle, color, write down the things that stand out to you, and then take it home with you, and follow up each week in your studies, and then bring it back each and every week. Uh, this has been an amazing series as we are learning the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that will help us grow closer in our faith, that will help us grow closer in our relationship with God. And so let me take this opportunity to uh, invite you guys to turn to Matthew 6, but also to invite my brother, uh, Iki Soma, to come and to bring God's word this morning. Excited to have Iki with us all the way from Houston, Texas. And Father, I pray right now that you would go before us, that you would prepare our hearts and ready our minds to receive from your word. Lord, I thank you for my brother Icky. I thank you for Tara and his family for letting him be here this weekend for his church and letting him come. And, and Lord, we pray that you would be with City of Refuge today as, uh, as they're without their pastor, but have great things going on. Lord, I pray now that as Icky brings your word, as we explore together the spiritual discipline of secrecy, that, uh, that Lord, the, the words of his mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be holy and pleasing and acceptable to you, God, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, welcome Icky Soma. Well, just uh, three days ago, it was uh, February 15th, and imagine that you walk into maybe your boss's office or the comptroller or the treasurer's office, and you go in to get your paycheck. You've been working hard for the last two weeks, and as normal, you're going to go in and get your paycheck, only to find that as you go there, the treasurer, your boss, or the comptroller says, hey, there's no check for you today. Or perhaps you're like me and you get direct deposit and so maybe on the evening of the 15th you check your bank account and you scroll in there and discover to find that there has been no money deposited into your checking account from your job. You've done the work, you've provided all the stuff they need to get done and yet they have not paid you. Or maybe uh, picture this, if you are in the post office and as you're getting ready to mail a package or a letter you see a wanted poster in the post office. And as you look at that wanted poster, you say, I recognize that guy. I went to high school with him, right? Or I went to college with him. And so then you call the 1-800 number and you call it up and say, hey, I know that guy. He lives at this address. And so later that night, as you're watching the evening news, you find out that this guy's been arrested for bank robbery. So the next morning, you call the, the uh, sheriff's office again and say, hey, um, I called in, called in the tip. You said, because of my tip, the guy was arrested, and so I want my reward. And the sheriff simply says, hey, there's no reward for you. 
And you're wondering, well, I took the risk, I made the call, and I did what I was supposed to do, and you're saying to me that there is no reward. Why, why is that? And again, I don't know about you, but I would be evangel evangelically ticked by this point, right? <laughs> no paycheck, no reward. But sadly, there are going to be people in the body of Christ, Christians, who one day, we're going to stand before God. There's going to be really uh, two judgments. One is what's known as a great white throne judgment, uh, Revelation 20, verse 12, in which uh, we will stand before God and he'll ask us what we did with Jesus Christ. And if we trusted Christ as our Savior, we'll be found in the book of life and we will be considered uh, the sheep. But the others, the goats, will he'll be separated and they'll be cast in eternity away from God. But the judgment that I'm talking about today, about rewards, is this. That you and I, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, will stand before Jesus Christ one day at the Bema seat. And he will look at us, and I believe we're going to be actually fully physically naked. And he will have a tape of our entire life from the moment we trusted Christ until the moment we entered into glory. And he will rewind that tape... And he will judge us, not whether we're a Christian or not. This isn't a heaven or hell thing. He will judge us based on what we did with what he gave us. The spiritual gifts, the money, the talents, the house, the car, our kids, our job, our resources. He is going to judge us based on what we did with what he gave us. But not only that, he's not only going to judge us what we did, the good works. He's also going to judge us why we did it as well. And you know what? For some of us, just like the wanted poster or a job that you don't get a paycheck, we will be stand, standing left with absolutely nothing. Jesus will say, there is no reward for you. And you'll say, but, but, but I came to CBC, and I served in this ministry, and I prayed when I was asked to pray, and I did all this, and I gave, and you're telling me that at the end of my life, my Christian life, that there is no reward. I'm going to look at why today in Matthew 6. So turn, over there, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and I'll say this. Uh, most of the time I preach in black churches, and they are very call and response. They'll talk back to me. So I tell people this. The more amens I get, the shorter the sermon. The less amens, the longer it's going to be. <laughs> Y'all are just torturing yourselves, all right? I just took off about five minutes with those two amens. All right. Matthew 6, 2, Matthew 6, 2, he says, when you give to someone in need, underline that word when, if you're a, uh, the type who writes in there by, when you give to someone in need, then look at verse 5, when you pray, underline that word when, and then verse 16, and when you fast, verse 16, and when you fast. So first off, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's telling his disciples and us what life looks like in his kingdom. When we say Jesus is our king, he's our president, he's our Lord, what does life look like? In chapter 5, he elaborates that often it's very countercultural to the way we live in this world. And in chapter 6, what he's doing is saying, look at the religious leaders of the day, the pastors in your world, and you hold them up because of what they do. And they become the model, the standard, saying, if I can just be like that Pharisee, if I can just be like that pastor, that religious leader, then I will be all right with God. And so the first thing he says is he assumes that we're going to pray, that we're going to give, and that we're going to fast. Because I don't know about your translation, but my Bible says when you give to someone in need, right? Are y'all with me? And when you pray and when you fast, because he assumes that in this love covenant, new covenant relationship, 
that we will do these things out of a love relationship. Are you all with me? Like this, like if you talk to your husband, for those of you who are married, and you, you want to talk about the vacation that you're going to take this summer, you will tell your husband, when you get home from work, let's talk about the vacation we're going to have this summer, right? No wife says, if you come home from work, right? <laughs> well, some of y'all marriages may be that jacked up, right? If you come home from work, no, no, but, but honestly, we will say, when you come home from uh, work, right? Or you may say, when the kids get home from school or when it's dinner time, you're assuming that this is going to happen in this love relationship. And so Jesus says, you're going to give, you're going to pray, and you're going to fast. Um, giving, uh, first off, he says, in Psalm 24, 1, God says that everything in this world is owned by God. God is the owner, and you and I, our homes, our cars, the money in our bank, it all belongs to God, and we are simply managers of that. And he calls us to give. He calls us to give, and uh, not all of it. He gives, calls us to give some of it towards his kingdom work and to those who are in need. That's what he calls us to do. And so he assumes, again, that you and I are going to give. He also says this, that he assumes that we're going to pray. Married folks in here, and especially the men, how many of you can say, honestly, we need to work on our communication, work on our communication. Husband and wife, work on our communication. Some of the men are embarrassed. Raise them higher. Let's see those hands nice and high, all right? Wives, please don't nudge your husband, all right? Because we found, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, that our biggest struggle still is communication. Every relationship needs communication. Our relationship with God is no different, amen? And prayer is simply communication with God. It's both talking to God, but also listening as well. So he assumes you're in a love relationship. You're going to pray. Are you all with me? You're going to pray. And then he says this, and then you're also going to fast. You're also going to fast. And fasting is simply giving up a physical need for a greater spiritual need. He knows that in your life, you are going to go through such difficult times that you are going to fast from a physical need because you've got an even greater spiritual need. Are you all with me? So he says, out of an intimate relationship, you're going to say no to food, most likely, to say yes to prayer. So the time you'd spend at work or at home eating lunch, you say, I'm going to fast and spend that time praying and seeking God because my spiritual need is far greater than the need for food. So again, he assumes as his followers, we're going to do these, they're actually uh, spiritual disciplines or practices as well. Look, look at this warning though. Look at this warning. Look at verse 2. Now, verse 1, watch out, beware, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. He sets up giving, praying, and fasting, these good works, by using verse 1 to say, be careful, that if you're doing these good works to be recognized, glorified by people, You've lost your reward. Look at verse 2. When you get to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, uh, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. That word in verse 1, that word admired, that word admired in verse 1, is the Greek word theomai, theomai, from which we get the English word theater. And so he says simply that some of us, perhaps even all of us, we're doing these good works, not for an audience of one, 
but for audience of those around us. He says, we've made the people next to us the audience, and we're performing in front of them. We're doing these good works, giving, praying, and fasting to be recognized by people. And you know what he calls that? He calls that? Look at, look at verse uh, 2 again, that word there in the middle. The word hypocrites in the Greek is hypocrites. Hypocrites. What English word does that sound like? That's a trick question, y'all. It's not true. It's hypocrites, right? It's hypocrites. <laughs> he says that if you do good works for the sake of being recognized by people, he calls you a hypocrite. And this is what we think of often. Uh, how many of y'all have friends that say, I would go to CBC with you, but the church is full of hypocrites, right? We think it's someone who says one thing and does another, right? Don't sleep around, and they're sleeping around. Don't get drunk, and they're getting drunk, right? Are y'all with me? That's what we think about as a hypocrite. But what Jesus says as a hypocrite is someone who may be doing the right things for the wrong reasons. You may be doing godly things for ungodly reasons. And he says, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You may be giving. You may be serving. You may be praying. You may be doing all these good things for the wrong reason. Look at me. Get, shine on me. It's all about me. I want to be seen by people. And he says, if you do that, you're a hypocrite. Look what he says in verse 5. Verse 5. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So these religious leaders, when they gave, they say, oh, look at me. And some people think there's a little trumpet. It's, you know, poor people come, we're about to give money out to be recognized. And they would pray on street corners, these very loud, bold, full of like theological word prayers to be admired by people. And he says, if you and I, do that. And the motive being to be recognized by people, he says, the reward you get from people, applause, you're amazing, that was such a great prayer. If that's your motive, that's all the reward you're going to get. Look at verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people admire them for their fasting. I'll tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. So they would fast uh, once a year, but the Pharisees would also fast during the week. And when they did, they would mess up their hair and ashes and, oh, I'm so hungry, right? To let people know that they were fasting. And he says, if you're doing that to be admired by people and the recognition from people, he says, that is your reward. But here's the thing that's kind of strange. Look at verse uh, one again. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose a reward from your Father in heaven. But it almost sounds like he's contradicting himself. Look at Matthew 5.16. So look at one chapter before. Matthew 5.16. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? He says this. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out, your good works shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So what he's saying Sounds like a contradiction. Wait, 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 Jesus, I thought you said don't do stuff publicly. And he says, no, there's nothing wrong with doing stuff publicly. I, I pray in public all the time. I, I'm preaching in public right now. But he's saying, make sure when you do those good works, the motive is that God gets the glory. That God gets the glory. Y'all see that? 
One says, so that your father's glorified. The other one says, hey, if it's all about you and people recognizing you, that's, that's a reward. Look at Proverbs 16, Proverbs 16, 2. Proverbs 16, 2. Proverbs 16, 2. So again, you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. You can do godly things for ungodly reasons. Proverbs 16, 2. If you're there, would you say amen? He says this, people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. He says, you and I, we are able to see our actions and people's actions, but we can't see people's hearts. We can't see people's motives, but you know who does? God does. God sees not only your actions that you do, but he sees why you do what you do. Turn to Proverbs 20, 27. Two chapters over. So again, humanly, we can see what we do, we can see what others do, but we can't see why we do, or we can't see why others do what they do, but God can. Proverbs 20, 27. The Lord's light penetrates a human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. So again, you can even try to hide your motives from the people sitting next to you, but he says God sees even your hidden motives. Proverbs 21.2, just look down a few verses. There's that similar theme. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. And last verse in Proverbs, look at Proverbs 21.27, a few verses later. The sacrifice or the offering of an evil person is detestable, especially when it's offered with wrong, what's that word there? Motives. Is giving a good thing? Right, is giving a good thing? Pastor, you can say it louder than that. I, I, saw, the, I saw the bulletin, the, the giving last week, 13,000, need 17,000. Is giving a good thing? Amen. But he says here, if you give with wrong motives, God says, man, that's, that's just evil. Because he sees not only what you do, he also sees why you do it. Do you know that even uh, gathering to worship like this, that perhaps there's some of us here who are doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, years ago, my pastor was lifting weights, and he was lifting weights, and there were some guys next to him on the bench press next to him, and there were two guys, and they were talking about which church has the hottest chicks. They didn't know that he was a pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, one of the largest churches in Dallas. They didn't know that. And so these guys are talking, and so finally they say, well, you know, at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, the girls there, they all like cause degrees, they're bankers and lawyers, and so they're not like beautiful, they've also got money as well. And so he wondered, did these guys even come to church that, that next Sunday or what church they went to? But they were sitting in church, not for the, the, the motive of worshiping God and being with his people, but they were there to Pick up women, scope out chicks. That's what they were there for. So you can be worshiping for the wrong reasons. And, and if you're a guy here today and you're scoping out chicks here at uh, CBC, I'm glad you came. But this church, you're going to hear about Jesus Christ and what he can do in your life, all right? Uh, let's turn there. we got time. James 4.3. So God sees our motives, not just our actions. Thank you. That just took off a minute off the sermon as well. All right. Huh? 
how many of you have ever struggled with unanswered prayer? You've been praying about things. It seems like God is not answering that prayer. Look at James 4.3. He says, uh, some of you don't have, you don't ask. And then verse 3 says, and when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So he says, there's some of us who are even praying for stuff, praying for a promotion, praying for maybe that book deal, praying for the uh, opportunity to be on television. And he says, you know what, though you may masquerade it like, you know, it's a Christian book and it's going to help people. He sees through those motives and says, no, really, it's not about even helping people with that book. It's really making a name for yourself. It's not really the promotion so that you can, you know, have a platform to share more about me and have more income to give to kingdom work. He says, really, it's so you can buy that jet ski and that boathouse. It's, it's really about you. And God says, I see even the reasons why you pray what you pray for. It's getting very quiet in here. So here's the solution. Go back to Matthew 6. What is the spiritual discipline that we can practice What's the spiritual discipline that we can practice? Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 3. But when you give to someone a need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 6, look at verse 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in Private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 17, verse 17. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do uh, in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. The spiritual discipline that we can practice if we have this need for recognition, pride, and people pleasing, the spiritual discipline we can practice is secrecy. Secrecy. The word there, uh, private, that's used three times. We just mentioned uh, giving in private, fasting in private, praying in private, is the Greek word kryptos, from which we get the English word kryptonite. I'm totally kidding. That's not, that's not even true. <laughs> just seeing if y'all are awake. It's from which we get the English word cryptic or crypt. So if someone gives you a cryptic message, it means a message with some hidden meaning. Are y'all with me? And so he says, when you give, when you give, don't your, let your left hand know what your right hand is, in, which means it should be so secret that even you wouldn't even know. The motives are really to give to the kingdom work or help someone in need that you don't even know. He says, that's how you should give, with a motive of giving to the work of God or to help people without the need for recognition. Um, <laughs> several years ago, um, um, I had this lady who called me and she said, I found your number. My mom is very sick. Uh, one of your members who's a nurse helped my mom out. And I said, okay. And I found out that he's struggling. He and his family are struggling financially and I want to give to them. And I'm like, great. You know, spirits leave me to give. So I'm like, you know, just stuff an envelope full of cash, leave it for him at his desk or, you know, just give it to him. If that's how you feel like it. She's like, no, I'm really, what, what I want to do is um, I want to give to your church and then I want you to cut him a check, all right? And I'm like, why? I mean, cut out the middleman, right? And she's like, well, I need the, the, the tax write-off. I want the tax write-off. And, and I'm like, 
lady, so number one, IRS won't allow us to do that. I call it Christian money laundering, all right? <laughs> and I said, if you're led to give, just give secretly. Give it to bless this guy, right? And then I said, and plus, lady, in 99% of the world, countries around the world, when you give to your local church or give to missions or give to help someone in need, you don't get a write-off. It's a luxury that we enjoy in the United States of America. And you're saying, Andrew, I don't know if you've heard this, but the, uh, some folks are saying eventually the U.S. is going to take away taxes and status for churches. That means every single dollar and cent you give to the church, you will not get a write-off for. And so they've warned pastors, pastors, prepare to work and operate on a reduced budget. Because when that happens and the tax write-off is taken away, then people are not going to give as much. But here's my prayer, is that the folks at CBC, their motive isn't a write-off. And that they will continue to give, saying, I don't care if I don't get a write-off. This is God's money, and I'm going to give a portion of it back to him for his work. Are you all with me? So he says, when you give, when you give, he says, do it in secret. Don't say, you know what, I'm giving this, Pastor Andrew, because I want to be an elder here. I'm giving this so I can get recognition. I'm giving this so you name this pew after me, or whatever it is. Do it secretly. Then he says the same thing about prayer. He says there's nothing wrong with pray, uh, praying publicly. I do it all the time. But he says you're hypocritical if you don't have a private prayer life. And your prayer life simply consists of praying in Bible study or praying in front of people to wow people. So he says there in verse uh, 6, he says when you pray... Go into your prayer closet, your private room, where you're intimate with God. Intimate with God. And God who sees you, he says, he's the one that's going to uh, uh, reward you. And then he says about fasting as well. And he says, those folks, you know, they mess up their hair. So if you're fasting, if you're fasting, I'm not saying don't let people know you're fasting. But when you're at work and your coworkers and you're fasting, they say, hey, hey, Mike, or hey, hey, Mabel, we're going out to, going out to eat, Right? You know, say, oh, I would, oh, but I'm fasting for the Lord, praying that sinners like you would come to Jesus, right? Oh, right? All you got to say is, no, thank you. I've got other plans. And if they press you, like, well, normally on Tuesdays, you go out, you know, Tuesday's our thing. We always go out to the same place. Why don't you wait? And then you can say, you know what? Our church, we're doing like a church-wide fast, and this week we're, we're not eating at all, and the time we normally eat, we're just going to spend time in prayer. So I'm, I'm just going to go in my office and spend about 20, 30 minutes praying for the needs of our church and our community. Leave it at that. Don't need to make any uh, display. And when you're at Bible study and stuff, you know, and, and, and folks are there, you don't have to, we call this a humble brag, right? When, when they say to you, when they say to you, you know, uh, uh, Mabel, why weren't you at the, the big potluck? Well, you know, Jim and I were at the homeless shelter serving and giving and stuff. We would have been there, but we were just sacrificing for the Lord, right? <laughs> yeah, or even say, you know what? I, I, I prayed all morning for you and your husband. I prayed all morning for your ratchet kids. I mean, your kids, right? <laughs> Just pray for them in private. You don't need to advertise it and tell it. If you're on social media, you don't have to advertise, we're going on this mission trip and look at all these good things I've done for the Lord. Right? Don't take on Instagram a picture of your meal saying, this is the last meal I'm going to eat because we're fasting for the next seven days. 
And we laugh about that, but don't we all do that? We want the shine. We want the recognition. Look at how holy and spiritual I am. So he says, a practice we can do is secrecy, to give and serve and pray in secret. So here's a challenge to you. So one of them is this. All of us in here, all of us in here know somebody who has a financial need, don't we? They've got a son or daughter's in the hospital and they have medical bills they can't afford, no insurance, whatever it may be. You've got a coworker or former coworker that just got laid off a month ago and you know they're having a tough time making ends meet. And you know that because the spirit keeps pressing their name on your heart. So this week, get some money, put it in an envelope and then leave it at their doorstep or their desk or whatever anonymously. Not a personal check with your name on it and your address. Cash. No write-off. You do that anonymously as you're led. And that's the discipline of secrecy. Blessing somebody, helping somebody without the need for recognition. Because you know what? No one may see it. Your elders here may not see it. Pastor Andrew may not. The guy sitting next to you, the person next to you may not see it. But you know who sees it? God does. He's your theomai. He's your theater. He's your audience. He sees it. Or, again, prayer stuff. Rather than advertising, you may just start a prayer ministry where you begin praying for needs at CBC in your community, and you have a list, and you just begin praying for people privately and not advertise it at all. You may say, you know what, I know as a church we fast during this season, maybe right for Resurrection Sunday, but I'm going to fast for these needs that I have in my family or in our community, and I'm not going to tell anybody about it. That's secrecy. That's secrecy. Because you recognize that your audience is God. Um, I was able to watch the dunk contest last night. Um, God, I've kind of gotten to know a little bit in chaplaincy. He was in the contest, so I wanted to watch it. And they were dunking in front of about 15,000, 20,000 people. But then there were like five judges. And do you know who the ultimate audience was, who they were performing for? Was it for the crowd? No, it's for the judges. That auditorium could have been empty. The five judges were the ones that they were dunking for, they were performing for. And so when you and I do good works, and even in public sometimes, our ultimate judge, our ultimate audience is an audience of one. It's God himself. And this is how secretive it should be. How secretive it should be. It should be so secretive that whenever God uses you secretly, it should creep him out a little bit. This, this is what I mean by that. So uh, many years ago, I was pastoring in San Antonio, and I challenged our congregation, same message, on secrecy. God doesn't see not only what you do, but he also sees why you do it. So uh, if you want pure motives on the why side, you do stuff secretly, because God sees that. And so we went on vacation right after that, and we came back a week later, and on our porch was a brand new girl's bicycle. So our little daughter was going from age three to four, and so she was getting her first Big girl bike, no training wheels and all that. First big girl bike. And on the porch is a brand new bicycle in a box. No card, no note. We don't know who's from. And so my daughter's excited. As you can imagine, a four-year-old girl with a brand new bike. And so she's like, Daddy, make, build the bike, build the bike, build the bike. I want to ride it. I want to ride it, you know. So we come inside, put our luggage down, and, and then bring the bike inside. And we're looking like, who sent it? There's no name, no address, nothing on it. So then um, a few minutes later, the phone rings, and this is back in the day with caller ID, like on our cell phones still today, and the caller ID said, unlisted number or unknown number. So I'm like, sorry. So I pick it up, and this guy's, did you get the bike? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And I'm about to say, who are you? You know, whatever, thank you. 
And he, click, hangs up. And I'm like, wow, that was weird. So then, so then, you know, my, my, my wife and I have a policy with our kids with gifts and all gifts. Before you can use the gift or use the money, you have to thank the person who gave it to you. So here's our daughter, brand new bike. She wants to ride it, but doesn't know who to thank. All I have is this, did you get the bike? <laughs> Click, right? And the guy had a slight New York accent. So I had a friend of mine from New York. So I called him. I said, hey, Tom, did you and your wife like leave a bike for my daughter on the, on the porch? And he's like, no, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? So then I'm like, this is strange. And then my wife's imagination runs wild. She said, Icky, it's a child abductor who's left this bike hoping that we're going to build it. She's going to ride around the corner from our house and she's going to get abducted. There's a guy in a van just waiting to, to kidnap her, right? So she said, you are not going to build this bike until we find out who gave us this bike. So then um, I've got a friend of mine in federal law enforcement. I call him up and I said, hey, this is going to sound strange to you. I know you're like busting drug dealers and, you know, mafia members and stuff. I'm like, um, back from vacation, bike on the porch, unlisted number. Did you get the bike? Right. I'm like, do you have someone at the phone company that can at least find out who called the number where this came from? So I can at least thank the person, right? Just to thank him. And he was like, Hey, I got a friend. I'll get on it. Right. Okay, great. Thank you. So then I go outside, uh, after we've, uh, uh, all of our luggage and stuff is put away. And so then my neighbor, Tom and his wife, who've been coming to our church, are outside watering their lawn or doing whatever. And Tom goes, hey, I noticed there's a bike on your porch. He said, um, uh, what was that about? And I said, somebody gave us a bike. I don't even know who it is. And so Tom and his wife are part of our church. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of weird, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's strange. And I said, but I got good news. And he said, what? And I said, just to make sure it's not some child abductor, kidnapper. I was like, I've got a friend in federal law enforcement. And he's trying to trace the number. And he's like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. He said, the folks who gave you that bike want to remain anonymous, all right? They don't want you to know who it was, but there's some folks who love you and love God and your family. And they knew your daughter needed a bike or wanted a bike. And they just want to bless you with it. Don't call the FBI. Don't call the CIA. Like, you don't have to do that. Don't have to do that. And you know what, y'all? That's how creepy it should be. That when that coworker, that other student, that other nurse, that guy that works in the plant with you, and when he's opening his locker and an envelope falls out with $500 in it, he's going to look around and say, what is this? And he's going to say, who knew that my daughter needed an operation that was going to cost $500? He's going to be creeped out. And you know the only person he has to give glory to? is to God. It's to God. Um, I, I don't know how y'all do it here in, in Nebraska and in Iowa, but in, in Texas, we do it this way. So if we do secrecy, practice secrecy, there's a reward. And I would say that reward is both in time, but also in eternity. And, and the reward is this, crowns. They're crowns. There's seven instances of crowns in New Testament. He says, if you do these good works, not saying look at me, but look at God, when we stand before Jesus Christ, he says, you're going to receive crowns. And here's the thing that's significant about those crowns, those crowns or rewards we'll see. One day we'll be before the throne of God, and we will cast those crowns as an act of worship. We'll be casting crowns before him. Great name for a band, by the way. Anyway, um, 
will be casting these crowns before him in adoration and love, saying, we don't deserve this. You've been so good to us. We'll cast our crowns. But here's the thing. There's going to be some believers, some followers of Jesus, who did the right things for the wrong motives, and you will have no crowns. And have you ever been to a birthday party, a retirement party, and everyone else has a gift for the one they're honoring, and you didn't get the memo, and you're like, I brought nothing. I brought nothing. I'm so sorry. We're going to be in eternity before God, before the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And there are going to be people who are going to be casting their crowns. And if you are doing the right things for the wrong reasons, you're going to show up to the party with no crowns. So the benefit, the blessing of secrecy is the reward. But there's another blessing as well. And this is it. That when you and I practice secrecy, we walk in the ways of God. We walk in the ways of God. We do what God is doing. How many of y'all can agree with me? God deserves all glory. God deserves all glory. All glory. How many of y'all can say, you know, and we deserve no glory, right? Deserve, right? We deserve no. God deserves all the glory. So this is what we do in Texas. This is what we do in Texas. Maybe different in Nebraska, maybe different in Iowa, I don't know. The moment we wake up, my wife and I, at 4 a.m., we recognize it's not the alarm clock that woke us up, but God woke us up. So the first words out of my mouth, thank you, Lord, thank you. First breath, I say, oh, this is the air I breathe. Thank you, God, for that breath. I recognize my first breath is from God. And then I kind of edge out of bed, and then I put my foot down and begin taking steps. And I recognize it's not my muscles that are doing the work. It's God who's enabling me to walk step by step. So every step I take, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then my wife gets up, and then we begin to look at all the ways that God has met our needs, our most deep need of salvation and all of our needs. And then we just begin to sing and worship in our bedroom. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, just singing for hours and hours and hours. And then we get to Bible study time. We recognize that God has given us his word, which is his revelation. He's revealed himself to us, his plan, his ways. He's revealed himself to us. So then we are just spending hours and hours in God's word. And every verse we were like, thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. Thank you. We're just worshiping. Then after that, it's time for breakfast. And I don't know about you all, but when I pull my bowl of cereal, my Cheerios, and some milk, I don't eat like just all at once. I take each individual one. And I just say, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Why are y'all laughing? Y'all don't, don't do that? Thank you, Lord. Each individual, because those Cheerios, you know, God provided the sun and the rain for the wheat to grow and the oats to grow. And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. The whole time. And then, and then it's time for me to get to work. And I thank God for the clothes I'm wearing. I get in the car. And, and, and in Houston, all right, and maybe not in, in Blair, but in Houston, going to work is like going to NASCAR, right? It's, it's a race. And you may get killed, literally. I mean, it's just a race. And so you're just getting to work. And so the moment I get to the church parking lot, I just begin to worship. I sing my favorite songs. You're a good, good father. I just begin singing because I recognize that I didn't deserve to get from my house to work. And I've gotten there safely. And then I get to work. Our staff comes and some members come. And I just say, can I just shower some praise? I'm just so thankful that God has put you in this church. And I just shower our staff with just thankfulness and praise. And you do that too, right, Andrew? I just all oh, just love on them, right? And then lunchtime, you know, I take the bread and I say, I just take the lettuce. Oh, thank you, Lord. Take the bacon. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just eat it one by one. 
And then by dinner time, same thing, we're looking back on our day and reviewing our day and all the stuff that God did and just recognizing him and thanking him for every little thing he did. And then my daughter, who's not even a singer, breaks out into praise. You know, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And we're just worshiping and worshiping. And if that's not enough, by the time it's time for bed, my wife and I look back on our entire lives and we're just recognizing God for everything he's done. Right? And y'all do that too, Right? Right? We, it's, it's, it's just a constant moment of recognizing God and worshiping God and praising God and glorifying God. But you know what? In reality, that's, that's not true. <laughs> we get up, and instead of saying, good morning, Lord, we say, good Lord, it's morning, right? <laughs> and we're like, oh, my arthritic knees. Oh, like, we're just walking along. Right? And then we've got to get to the plant by like 8.30, so we're like, eating as fast as we can, right? I'll do the Bible reading later, and I'll do all that stuff later. We go throughout our day not even recognizing God, not even thanking God for the breath we take, the steps we have, for salvation, our family, our jobs. We don't recognize God at all for any of that. And he's a God that deserves all recognition and all glory. And you know what he does? Secretly, anonymously, quietly, he keeps meeting your needs all throughout your day. Are you all with me? And so when we practice a discipline of secrecy and God uses us to meet other people's needs or God uses us to bless others, we're walking in the ways of God. We're walking in the ways what he does, we're doing as well. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for all the ways that you meet our needs quietly, secretly, behind closed doors and even anonymously. And God, forgive us for not recognizing that and giving you all glory. But God, I do pray now for each person here who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is for the believers, that when we do our good works, giving, praying, fasting, serving, teaching, gathering for fellowship, hospitality, helping the youth, serving the children. God, I pray for pure motives pray for pure motives, that we wouldn't just look at what we do, but God, examine our hearts on why we do it, God. God. I pray that we come with clean hearts and clean hands because of the work of your spirit and your word, God. And God, I pray that you would help us to practice the discipline of secrecy. I know all of us wrestle with the desire and need for recognition or pride or look at me or I'm being overlooked. But God, when we practice the discipline of secrecy, you tell us that there will be a reward. And you also tell us that you're the one constantly, faithfully providing for us, even when we don't recognize you. So again, by your grace and by your spirit, help us to practice consistently this spiritual practice, this intentional intimacy of secrecy. So not that we'll get the glory, but God, you'll be made famous and to look good. And we ask in Christ's name.